0: When the prophet Jeremiah, according to Jeremiah chapter 20, was being persecuted by Pashur the priest, who prophesied falsely in Israel, and God's true prophet, Jeremiah confronted him, according to chapter 20, verse two, Pasher beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin Gate of the house of the Lord. The next day, when Pashur released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord does not call your name Pasher, but terror on every side. And down in verse 10, Jeremiah cries out. This is what he says about all of this confrontation and about himself and his predicament. For I hear many whispering... Terror is on every side. Denounce him. Denounce him. Jeremiah saying that's what people were saying about Jeremiah. Let us denounce him, say all of my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. Now I would say that's a predicament. That's a dilemma. And believe it or not, that very similar phrase, which has even caused some people to think that maybe it wasn't David who wrote Psalm 31, but maybe Jeremiah. Now, I think it was David because we have the superscription there to the choir master, a Psalm of David, and I think those are inspired. So I believe that that is David. But apparently there may have been a similar phrase that was going around, that idea of those who were whispering about us, terror is on every side. Listen to David's anguish beginning in the middle of Psalm 31, verse 7, going from verse 7 all the way through to the first part of 13. Psalm 31 beginning in verse 7. This is what David says about his own experience, much like Jeremiah, You have seen my affliction, you have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy, you have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. And listen to these words sounding so very similar to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 20. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. Maybe you haven't had someone actually plot to end your life like David or like Jeremiah, or perhaps like the Apostle Paul, when there were men who actually took an oath that they would neither eat nor drink until the Apostle Paul was dead. You may not have had something like that, but you may have felt nevertheless at times abandoned. You ever felt like that? Just abandoned? Alone? That you've been abandoned by all your friends and seemingly everyone around you? They appear to be your enemies? Who seem, to you at least, that they want to destroy you? They want to end your ministry. They want to tarnish your reputation. Your life appears to be hemmed in with terror on every side. Well, what's the answer? What are we to do? Well, I want to encourage you tonight. That's the middle portion of Psalm 31 that I read to you. Now I want you to see what David says at the beginning of Psalm 31. Look at verse 1 all the way to where I started reading in the middle part of verse 7. Notice Psalm 31, 1 through the first part of verse 7. This is David's answer. Here's the answer to the dilemmas of life. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad in your steadfast love. Now whatever challenge you and I may be going through, whatever it is, physical, spiritual, physical and spiritual, mental, educational, Domestical, whatever it is, David's psalm tonight that we will study is absolutely true according to the Word of God. And you can bank on it. In a world of would be solutions, in a universe where people assume things like karma, What comes around, comes around. In a world in which people do not necessarily either know, traffic in, or have facility with God's truth, you and I do. And notice what David says beginning in verse 14, going all the way to verse 22. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord. For he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Do you notice the flow of this psalm? David begins in those first seven verses to extol our God. And in the middle... He brings his dilemma to bear upon the singers, right? Because this is a song. And then he finishes with the bulk of the last part of that that we just read with David once again saying, I've got an answer. I've got an answer. And he even alludes in the middle part that some of it was due to his own sin. says his body wasted away and frankly... He says the same thing in this great penitential psalm, the very next one, Psalm 32. Notice what he says there in Psalm 32, verses 3, 4, and 5. Some of the most notable words in all of the psalms. Psalm 32, 3, 4, and 5. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So maybe part of what David is saying in Psalm 31, at least is that he also had his sin to deal with. Not just his enemies. Not just encroaching, marching armies who are ready to destroy Israel, ready to destroy David and his mighty men, but even David's own sinful temptations. So is this what you and I do even in the middle of our struggle where we say at the beginning, at the end, I'm still going to trust God. I'm still going to rely on Him. I'm still going to pray to Him. Is this what we do when we believe we're overwhelmed with sorrow and grief? Is this the kind of prayer life that we pray when we've almost seen fit to give up everything, throw in the towel, and wave the white flag of retreat? I mean, among the many things David prays for in these verses... One thing particularly stands out to me and to you I know and that is this. Look at verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Well as we said this morning you know who else uttered such a prayer. Right? Look over in your Bibles at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. This was our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And when He prayed, He prayed a phrase that was precisely what David has prayed here in Psalm 31. In Luke chapter 23, look at what it says, beginning in verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was drawn into was torn in two then jesus calling out with a loud voice said father into your hands i commit my spirit and having said this he breathed His last. The very last thing on both the mind and lips of Jesus before He voluntarily gave His life in sacrificial death was Psalm 31.5. Father, into Your hand I commit my spirit. And you know that This idea of committing oneself in our spirits to God, to entrust ourselves to God, who protects us, who is our refuge, who loves us, who takes care of us, who brings us out of adversity and challenge and trial and a myriad of tests, is actually the very thing that we see not only as Jesus is on the cross and saying the same thing as David did David did to the Lord but notice 1 Peter chapter 2 1 Peter chapter 2 this actually becomes this very idea of Jesus entrusting himself to the Father becomes the very idea that Peter uses for you and for me when he thinks of an example of someone to follow 1 Peter chapter 2 look at verse 21 this is why Psalm 31 and what Jesus said on the cross, "Father, into my hands, I, into your hands I commit my spirit." Listen to First Peter 2:21. This is our calling, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, and he suffered for you both in his life and particularly in his death, leaving you an example so that you might follow. In his steps. You know what steps you ought to follow? Not only the righteous life of Christ, but you ought to also follow that when Jesus was on that cross, he made a solemn vow, a solemn declaration Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. I commit my whole life to you. My spirit is everything about me, even in pending death. I commit myself wholly to you that's what he means and when he says here that these are steps we might follow it includes committing yourself to the lord committing your spirit your whole life your body everything about you to your god verse 22 he committed no sin speaking of jesus neither was deceit found in his mouth When He was was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten. But notice this, my friends. But continued entrusting Himself to Him. That's the Father who judges justly. This is that committal we're talking about. That we can commit ourselves, Jesus to the Father, we to Jesus, And we to the Father, because in entrusting ourselves to Him, we know that He judges justly. He judges righteously. No wonder it says of Jesus in verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer or guardian of your souls. And if you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4, you'll see an amazing verse in 19 that essentially says the same thing. 1 Peter 4:19. This is for all sufferers here tonight. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust, there's that word again, entrust a committal will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. This is this is exactly what happened to Stephen even when he was about to go to heaven in Acts 7. That's where you know the account of Stephen, because Stephen went to heaven according to Acts 7. And when he went to heaven, and when he was about to take his last breath, what did he say? Into your hands, Jesus, I commit my spirit. So whether you're living your life, and you've got trials, and tests, and temptations, and even the sense of your own dealing with sin in your heart, even the consequences of such a sin even when you are righteous and someone has falsely accused you, even when you're going through massive affliction, even in the midst of suffering, whatever it is, whatever those challenges are, in life or right at death's door, what Jesus says, what Peter says, what Stephen says is into your hand. I commit my spirit. I'm committed to you. In fact, if I were to outline the message of tonight, I mentioned to you this morning, it would be three imperatives from Psalm 31. And that's the first one. Commit to the Lord. Commit to the Lord. Commit everything to the Lord. Look at the three verses in Psalm 31 that teach us this. Verse 5, of course, we just went over. Psalm 31, 5. Into your hand I commit My spirit. And then verse 8. Verse 8. David says, And you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Isn't that an interesting use of the same word, hand? So in one place, David says, Into your hand, God, into your hand, Father. Into your hand, Yahweh, I commit my spirit. And I'm also going to thank you that you have not delivered me into the hand of my enemy. I don't want to be in their hand. I want to be in your hand. And notice what he says in verse 15. Title of our message, my times are in your hand. You know when you're reading your Bible and you're reading something like Psalm 31 or any portion of Scripture... One of the best ways for an English Bible student is simply when you're reading your English Bible, take a pen, take a marker, take a highlighter, do something with which you can have a flexible way when you're reading through and you just find these similar, if not same words in your reading. Verse 5, verse 8, verse 15, hand, hand, hand. There's usually something to that. And in one place, into your hand, I commit my spirit in the context of very, very woeful days. And in another place, I don't want to be in the hand of my enemy. So I'm praying fervently that I won't be in the enemy's hand. In fact, verse 15, here's the hand I want. I want to be in the hand of God because all my times are in His hand. That's... That's prominent, and what they're all teaching us is this, I want God's hand of protection, God's hand of mercy, God's hand of deliverance, not the enemy's hand. Lord, for your glory, for your honor, don't place me in anybody's hand but your own. Now, in a sense, it's true, like David says, my times are in your hand, it's true that in a sense... Even if I were in the enemy's hand for a season, I'm still in God's hand, right? It's not either or. But the fact is, ultimately speaking, my times, all of them, everything about me, all of my movements from birth to death, my times are in God's hand. And you know what that means? That means that if God has my entire life because He's my Creator, Savior, and Lord in His hand, I must commit my life to Him. I must commit my life to Him. Commit to the Lord. If He has you in His hand, then you turn around and commit yourself to His hand. Don't try to go off half-cocked into your own way for your own purposes, moving away from God's hand if we thought we could. And sometimes we're convinced that maybe we should because we're not getting the relief from Him that we think we either deserve or should have. And yet He's never far off. My times are in your hand. Commit to the Lord. Isn't that exactly what Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 8 say? I don't necessarily have you quote that, but I do think sometimes when people quote Proverbs chapter 3, Verses 4 and 5, they sometimes don't quote the rest of the section. You remember Proverbs 3 beginning in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. But don't forget verses 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Do you know why it will be healing and refreshment? Because so often, even though we know the truth that our times are in God's hand, we start to move out independently, or so we think, because God's hand isn't delivering us from our toil, from our challenge, from our trial. And so I'll move out from his hand, or so I think, and what we're doing is that I'm leaning on my own understanding and I'm being wise in my own eyes. You see, that's the opposite of committing yourself to the Lord. You know, I've heard even in Christian circles people saying, Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. I believe in me. If you don't have confidence in yourself, then who will have confidence in you? If you don't believe in yourself, who will believe in you? And I scream inside when I say, don't believe in yourself. Don't believe in yourself. Don't trust in yourself. Scripture says, do not lean on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Look away from yourself. Look away from yourself. And look to Him. Commit to the Lord. And then there's a second imperative. Not only commit to the Lord, but there are three verses that say trust in the Lord. Look at verse 6 of Psalm 31. Verse 6. Here's the imperative. Here's the command. I hate Those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. You know, in David's day, there were these idols that they actually would fashion, they would create, they would carve, and they would put them up on a pedestal, even though the most stupid thing about that is that the creator of the idol that they worship is the person themselves. How can you spend time carving an idol, put it on your mantle, and then bow down yourself to the thing that you created? But that's what we do, whatever it may be. It could be the creation of money, lust, power. It could be a sense of Self-significance, appraising of oneself, and we work to create such a reality, and then we bow down when it comes. We're just creating our own worthless idols. But David says, I look away from myself, and I trust in the Lord. Look at verse 14. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. And then verse 24, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. To wait for the Lord means you're trusting in the Lord. You're you're trusting in His provision. You're, You're trusting in the day when He will deliver you from your dilemma. And this should be our response to our God too, right? I commit my spirit to the Lord, my whole life, my whole being, and I I trust in the Lord. I trust that He is trustworthy. That's what I do. I trust that He's trustworthy. I trust in Him. I don't look to myself. I look away from myself. And David had a lot to trust God for. He's He's being savagely pursued. He talks about it. Then he's got his own sin to deal with. And he says, I trust in the Lord, I trust in you, O Lord, and I'm waiting for you, Lord. That's the, that's the second key component in a Psalm 31 answer to God. I'm in this dilemma, I'm, I'm in this challenge. I don't know what to do, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what my response should be. God, help me, I'm crying out to you. And he says, commit your spirit to me. Commit your life to me. And this, trust me. Trust me. Lance, do you trust me? Do you trust me with this church? Do you trust me with this ministry? Do you trust me to minister to my people? Do you trust me? You can say the same thing. Maybe it's finances. Maybe you're going through a very, very difficult time financially. Maybe your physical life. Maybe it is what people are saying about you. Are you trusting me, God says, with your life? With what they're saying about you? With all of these challenges that you're going through? How about the future? Do you trust me? That's why Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 5 to 8. Trust in the Lord because the Lord can be trusted. And then thirdly and finally for tonight, love the Lord. Commit to the Lord, trust the Lord, and love the Lord. There were were three verses that talk about committing your way to the Lord in His hand. There are three verses that talk about trusting in the Lord, and there are three verses that talk about loving the Lord. Look at what David says in verse 7. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. You know one of the reasons that you can love the Lord as you do? Because you can know his steadfast love for you. The Bible says it, it's true. I'll rejoice and be glad. I'll have joy in my heart. I'll have love in my heart. And I'll be glad because of your steadfast love. And look at verse 21. Blessed be the Lord, for He has wondrously shown His steadfast love to me. And He's already spoken of this in verse 16. Save me in your steadfast love. Three times in this psalm. Steadfast love. Steadfast love. Steadfast love. This is why, beloved, the Apostle John can say in 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. We can love because He first loved us. We love because we know of His steadfast love. And three times David says this. Do you know this concept of the, the love of God is so important to the Apostle Paul, that he actually says, 1 Corinthians chapter sixteen, twenty-two: If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Now that's that's pretty important. That if you and I don't love the Lord, it's the difference between heaven and hell. If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Let him be damned. And he says at the end of 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The love of God. The love of God. Romans 5.5 says that if you're a genuine Christian who hopes in the Lord Jesus, it says, hope does not put us to shame. The very... The very phrase that David says here in Psalm 31, Oh, let me not be ashamed. Romans 5.5 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We love the Lord because He has given His steadfast love to us and the Holy Spirit has poured out His love upon us so that we will not be disappointed, put to shame. And this idea, especially in a shame-based culture, like David lived in Israel, you know, in that uh, sort of, uh, we would call it, you know, the the Old East or the Middle East today. That whole area, along with even other Asian cultures, have this shame-based idea, That they can't lose face, right? They don't want to be ashamed publicly. They don't want to be embarrassed in a public way. And so this idea keeps coming up all the time the idea of don't want to be ashamed, don't want to be disappointed, don't want to be shamed. And here it is, Romans 10, 9 to 11. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, right out of Isaiah forty nine twenty three, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. David says, I don't want to be put to shame, Lord. I don't want my enemies triumphing over me. I want them to be put to shame. Let them go silently down to shield. But I'm part of your people. Don't let me be ashamed in this culture. I don't want Yahweh's name to be besmirched by the marauding nations. And you get to Paul's own attribution of Isaiah 49, 23, and he says, I tell everyone who will listen. That if you believe Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead on the third day, and if you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved because everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. It says the very same thing in Romans 9.33. You believe in the Lord, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll not be put to shame. And this ties right back to Psalm 31.24. Be strong. Be strong. And let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. You know what it is to wait for the Lord? It's to commit to the Lord. It's to commit to the Lord, which is to say, trust in the Lord, which is that Lord you delight in because you love the Lord, and you love the Lord because you hate vain idols. You know you're going to see this theme running through time and time again. You want to see this whole idea of commit to the Lord, trust in the Lord, love the Lord, In Psalm 37. Look over there. Psalm 37. And we'll close with this. want to see this same thing? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, which means to love the Lord. Look at Psalm 37. Verse 5. Verse 5. Here it is in an imperative of Psalm 37.5. Commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. And he also says in verse 5, trust in Him and He will act. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And he says it again. Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And verse 7 and verse 9, the same thing. Trust in the Lord. And look at verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. You see it there? There. Commit your way to the Lord, verse 5. Trust in the Lord, verse 3. Delight yourself in the Lord, which means love the Lord, verse 4. I mean, when you don't know what to do and you don't know where to turn, commit your way to the Lord by trusting in the Lord, and this because you love the Lord. This is for God's people. This is what we pray. This is what we believe. Our church can be all that God wants it to be if we commit it to the Lord if we trust in the Lord, and if we love the Lord. And your individual life will be all that you would ever have hoped it to be if you commit your way to the Lord, if you trust in the Lord, and if you love the Lord. Think about that as you pillow your head tonight. Lord, I commit my way to you. I commit my spirit to you just as Jesus did, just as Peter has asked us just as Stephen did right before he came into your presence. I commit my spirit to you totally and completely. And I trust you. I trust you with my finances. I trust you with my life. I trust trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my future. I trust you even when I get myself into sin that you will deliver me. And even if I have to experience the consequences of it, I'm going to trust you for my life and the results of even what I've made of it, mess that it is. And I love you, Lord. And I love you because you have given me your steadfast love. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how is it that these simple truths commit to the Lord Trust in the Lord. Love the Lord. Don't seem to be uppermost in our minds as they otherwise should. I get myself into a mess. I foul up my life with my sin. I experience the consequences of it. I see the trials of my life, and it may not even be due to my sin. It may be due to others' sins. And they want to ransack my reputation and they want to destroy my friendships and my relationships. And I I need you. I need you in my life, Lord. And here's what you say to us. Here's what you say to me. Commit to me. Commit your soul to me. Commit your all to me. Trust in me and love me as you keep my commandments. Oh, Father, oh, dear Christ, blessed Holy Spirit, we pray now that we would commit, trust, and love you and you alone for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.